What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner, and I am here with my Dapanair co-host, CK. How are you doing? I'm not hearing you. You're on, are you on mute? Still on mute, buddy. Big day. So CK and I, we met in Nashville for the first time. Well, we met in line at the Bitcoin conference a couple of times, but we got to spend some hours together at the Bitcoin day in Nashville this last weekend. And it was great. I gave my community on Telegram. I gave them a big rundown of everything that happened there. So appreciate to the Bitcoin day folks for putting it on. It was very well run and I hope they do more in the future. They're kind of reassessing if they're going to do some other events, you know, throughout the rest of the year. So if you see those come up in your, in your local area, support them. If you can get out there and support the Bitcoin day stuff, because it's a great educational opportunity for people. So CK, are you back? I think so. All right. Yep, you hear gotcha. me? Yep. The button would not let me unmute. Like I was, I was virtually locked out, but here we are. Ansel, it was great to get are. to hang out, man. Bitcoin day is awesome. We got to hang out with a lot of awesome Bitcoiners. Me and you, we chatted for several hours. We, we put, we bowled, drank the night before. It was a really good time. Yep. Met some guys from Unchained Capital were there. Ibex was there. Robert Breedlove showed up. We actually had an FBI agent. That was kind of unexpected. And he spoke <laughs> That was an at- experience. Yeah, he's a he was a cyber security guy, and uh, he spoke at the conference, and it was it was cool because I was in the other room competing for people against him, and apparently our room took like seventy five percent of the people, so I was I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, no, your talk was a lot of fun too, and honestly, we got to get Kent on the show. Kent is your your co author. The B, is it BT? What's the website uh, that you do BT, with him? BTCM.co. Yeah, btcm.co. So kind of part of the the Bitcoin markets brand, but great, great content there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll get him on that. Yeah, that was really fun. We did a fireside chat and people seem to really like that kind of format. So maybe we'll do it again. What else we got going on this week? We got big CPI, obviously CPI announcement this week. So we're going to cover that. Yeah, big news yesterday. We have charts, Bitcoin charts, and some currency charts and some other things to go over. Then I wanted to talk, well, I'm going to break down CPI and a few different things like food and shelter. I want to look at those things in depth. And then what else we got on on tap here is the kind of globalist takeover of Europe, man. There was some surprising elections and there's some more to come in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens over there in Europe. And then finally, I just have two articles to summarize with China. And that's it. That's what we got on deck for today. Anything, any other admin notes to plug up front here? CK? No, I mean, gotta, gotta shill Bitcoin Amsterdam. That's in less than 30 days. That's going to be a lot of fun. Guys, Europe is ground zero. This is where we mm-hmm. need to put our flag down and fight for Western values, fight for the freedom to mine and the freedom to run open source software, fight for Bitcoin, honestly. So like we need to show up to Europe. We need to show the folks in the Netherlands that Bitcoin is real, that Bitcoin is going to continue to fight and that, and you know, you, this is something that should not be pushed away. It's something that should be embraced. So use BM live, get 10% off your tickets. We just announced the agenda and it is absolutely fire. 
absolutely fire. We could go over some of the uh, we can go over some of the uh, the panels if we have time at the end of the episode. A lot of great macro panels. But y'all, Bitcoin Amsterdam. Use promo code BM Live to save ten percent off. Tickets are going up in price again next Friday, and then they're going to go up again for the last time right before the event. So this is this is time buy your ticket. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think this is great timing because of everything that we're going to talk about with Europe, you know, the the rise of populism and perhaps the decline of the euro, right? So currency conversation is going to be big over there in the next six to 12 months. And Bic- this is perfect timing. Bitcoin, the Bitcoin conference needs to get in there and make some news. So I guess I got another show. Not, unfortunately, before we get going. into the show, yeah. I, I got one more show. Yeah. Uh, get your subscription to the Bitcoin magazine. That is one, the current one, the censorship resistant issue is absolutely fantastic. But two, this upcoming issue, I can't tease the name yet, but it is going to Uh-oh. be incredible. And it has an amazing op-ed penned by the president of El Salvador, Nayib Bukele, where he's, he's not holding back. He, he's going to take his shots. He's going to call out who he needs to call out. So really incredible to have that in the next issue of Bitcoin Magazine. It's absolutely going to be part of Bitcoin history. So you're going to want to buy that. So subscribe now, get the censorship resistant issue. And then just next month, you're going to get the, the newest issue of Bitcoin Magazine as we kind of round out our first four issues in this most recent series. So yeah, that's all the housekeeping I got. Bitcoin Amsterdam. Bitcoin Magazine. Ansel, let's get into the charts. All right. So we start every episode with a Bitcoin chart. So Chris, could we get chart number one, please? So, I mean, Bitcoin was showing a little bit of strength here before the CPI was announced yesterday. It did look like it could possibly break out. It was testing like weak resistance, I thought. It had broken kind of that stair step pattern downward and it was going back up. And then of course the CPI came out. Now, what I think is kind of interesting about all all these charts we're going to go over is nothing fundamentally changed, right? Like CPI is backward looking by a long way. I mean, it's, it's August and we're already halfway through September. So nothing fundamentally changed in the Bitcoin market or in the stock market or whatever, but it's just this news that hits it hits the wire and causes people to sell. I think there's a lot of bears out there. There's a lot of people on the short side and they were, you know, looking for any excuse to say, Oh my God, this is, you know, the, the fed is going to hike a hundred basis points now. And you know, the stock market is going to crash. And so I think that the, the bears are definitely a majority in this market, even though nothing fundamentally changed. And I think Bitcoin and the stock market should trend upwards at this point. You know, the just the news hitting the wire pushed it down. Do you have any thoughts on like that kind of idea of, you know, this is about the message uh, or the medium is the message kind of, I guess, in a way. And, you know, do you have any thoughts on how the market reacted when the news hit yesterday morning? I mean, everyone that I respected was talking about this kind of like price pump as like a scam pump or kind of a nothing burger, maybe a sell the news event, like a little pump leading into CPI news. I really do feel like sell the news is like a very strong trend in Bitcoin, period. It's definitely true in crypto as well. So not to say it's a heuristic that one should trade on, but it's proven itself time and time again that if there's this big anticipated date, the price might act against that date 
But as soon as the the news kind of unfolds, an opportunity to to dump. So I don't know. Well, I, I don't have anything better to say about it. But it, yeah, it wasn't super unexpected that that this kind of fell apart. Yeah, that's interesting. I've been writing about the sell the news thing on my newsletter, and you know, the first half of that saying is buy the rumor, right? So you have to actually have some buying before you have a selling of the news. And so if this was a buy the rumor, sell the news type of thing, it kind of makes sense that it didn't fall all the way back down to the bottom, right? Because it just pumped a little bit and then it dumped a little bit and that there's nothing to see here. We could bring this into the, the merge stuff. I don't have a slide for that, of course. I don't just mention this slightly here is the buy the rumor there really hasn't been a lot of buying of the rumor i would expect like a hundred percent pump not a 10 percent pump or whatever we've seen recently so i i think eth might experience the same sort of thing where there's a little bit of buying the rumor and a little bit of selling the news and that's about all she wrote for the merge do you have any comments on that or should we go to the stock market yeah i mean if the merge was not priced in or whatever, if it was really going to drive massive price appreciation, we would have seen a lot more by now. And honestly, I think the fact that we yeah. haven't, that it, you know, ETH is kind of hasn't, I guess it's been relatively strong ish in a pretty negative overall scenario, but not that strong. Honestly, I think it's going to give investors a lot of pause, especially ones that were like, very optimistic about this. Yeah, I don't know. I think the the macro forces are far, far outweigh any sort of like narrative hype. And this narrative is just not that salient, clearly. Yeah, I mean, well, this is a very weak pump for being a pre-fork pump on Ethereum. I mean, we've seen ones in the past where, you know, building in, well, we see them on all these altcoins. That 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 is their major thing is the the marketing around these upgrades and what they're going to deliver and all this stuff. And so that drives a lot of speculation, but Ethereum just really hasn't had that at all this time. So kind of interesting, almost uh, might even turn into a non-event, at least initially. I, I, I mean, this isn't really the topic of the show, but I think that um, give it a few weeks and we might see some bugs appear or something like that, but not initially. I think they'll get through this initial merge. What do you think about that idea? Don't do know, <laughs> don't know, do not care. Okay, um, okay. If the merge goes down without drastically damaging the price, I do owe Eric Wall a tungsten cube. So I'll be out oh, $400. But if something does happen, I get a tungsten cube. But outside of that... What's the time know, frame? Just, honestly, it was unclear. Like, we, we pretty much just said, you know, within three or four months and, you know, gentleman's agreement, but... I really time. don't think it's going to be that, I, you know, I think it's either going to be like it works and I, I buy a cube or there's some sort of like some sort of thing that forces it to be postponed. You know, honestly, I, I, I'm I'm not hoping for disaster for Ethereum, but it, it might happen. Is I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going it, to it's going to happen and we'll see. We'll see. It's funny right now in Nashville, it's like a Nashville Bitcoin week. We have a bunch of activities that are going down. It started with Bitcoin Day on Saturday, and it's you know we had a big pizza party at a, at a pizza place next door, sponsored by Bitcoin Magazine. Yesterday, we have the National Bitcoin Meetup today, and then we have a thing called Grassroots Bitcoin on Thursday. And a friend who is in the the ETH space, he was like, "Hey, 
there's a merge party happening. You know, y'all should come. And I was like, yeah, no, sorry. We're busy. Like we got in in Nashville. Yeah. And the reality is like, okay, whatever. ETH is doing its thing. Bitcoin's doing its thing. Like Bitcoin has its own agenda and it's just moving forward. And the people in the Bitcoin ecosystem, we're just moving it forward. You know, we, I don't think we're most Bitcoiners care about what's happening in altcoin land. Yeah, that, oh, so that's that's a hint. Let's move on with the show. Let's talk about the stock market. I mean, Bitcoiners don't really care about the stock market either, but I think that it's important to take a look at. So because of the correlation with Bitcoin, but it got way over its 50 period moving average. It looked really, really bullish. And then it crashed with the CPI, very similar to how Bitcoin looks, but it is a little bit green today. I haven't checked it in the last couple hours, but you know, I... I think that the fundamentals here, both for Bitcoin and stocks, are very similar and that, well, being the reasons why it would pump throughout the rest of the year. Like, I think there's a heavy cash position on both of both of these two asset classes. Um, I think that it's it's stock buyback season and in Bitcoin, it's kind of like the end of the cycle type of bottoming season. And so there's a lot of similarities, not just the risk on asset, but there's a little bit deeper reasoning why that these two assets are are correlated at this time. And yeah, so it bounced right on that 61.8 Fibonacci once again that I've been pointing out for a long time. And we'll see if it continues higher. Next slide is the DAX. This is the German stock market. I just wanted to point this out because we did bring it up last week that it looked like it was going to test this trend line and then it shit the bed as well. Next slide. This one is the European natural gas prices. It is down 42% from the high. It's coming down a little bit slower than I expected. I thought it would just, you know, fall off a cliff and come back down, lose 50% in a week or something, but it's it's slowly coming back down. Some of that acute pressure is being we lessened over there in Europe. And so I think this this chart explains that. So that's all I have for the initial charts, Christian. Any comments on those things? Any kind of broader currency topics that you want to bring up before we jump into CPI? Now, let, let, let's get into it. It is really interesting to just kind of see CPI marching forward. And uh, I think both of us really connect the fact that CPI has nothing to do necessarily with inflation. So any of the Fed's activity might not have, yeah. you know, might not be solving it. It's almost like there's a fire over there. And then the Fed is like busy trying to to put, you know, dump water in the complete wrong spot. So yeah, let's let's get into talking about the print. All right. So of course we had, before we put up the slide here, Chris, I just wanted to do a little bit of intro here. And the print was 0.1% for August. All right. That means that in August, there was the general price level increased by 0.1%, very near zero on an annualized basis. If you take that one month and annualize it, it's 1.4%, not the 8.3%. That is the year on year number. And I say this, I said this last month, and I'll say it again this month, that year on year is extremely misleading. It's not now, Chris, can you bring up that first slide? The that is looking at the CPI year over year. And these are the kind of components of it. Okay, core, energy, food, etc. And the problem with this is that it's a year on year measurement. 
So this isn't showing what has been going on the last two or three months. The last two or three months, prices have not increased. Energy prices have crashed. And look at the energy on this, this chart. It's positive, right? If you're looking at a real CPI chart, it should be negative. You should see that orange, which is energy, negative 10%. That's how much it fell in the last month. It fell 10%. That's incredibly deflation or not so, deflation, but going down. Yeah, Christian, go. So your position is that you, we need to look at month over month, not not year over year numbers. Yes. And it's, and, it's, and, go ahead. I'll just say, and post COVID with really every single year offering up very different kind of macro hurdles and scenarios that the economy has to deal with that you're saying it, it, it's not even worth comparing apples to apples because you know, supply chains were very different a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. So for example, if we break this down into housing, that's one of the, well, let's go to food first. So let's see what slide that is. Food is slide 10, please, Chris, is this is a chart of the food component of the CPI. And you can see it's really, really high. It's the highest since like 1978 or 1977 or something like that. But that is misleading because it is coming down. Food, food costs are actually turning over and coming down. If you go to slide number, let's see, number 12, please, Chris. This is the month over month of the headline number in blue. And then the food, sorry, yeah, food in red. So you can see that the red is coming back down. It is the lowest, except if you take out December of last year, it is the lowest out of that yearly print. So it's very hard. The year on year number is just misleading. You wouldn't even know that it's turning over and coming back down if you look on the, at the year over year number. So I think it's it's very misleading. Now I already jumped around here and I'm out, I'm out of order, but let's go back to talk about shelter. So that would be number six, please. Yeah. Now this is the year, sorry, the month over month for shelter in green, and it is going up slightly but the kind of point here behind shelter is that it's very hard to i mean okay i already said that cpi was released in in for august that's already a month ago but if you look at the year over year numbers you're looking 12 months back right so how, how are you going to make decisions today based on information that's 12 months old and then the shelter number is actually older than that because you know people don't resign their rental agreements every single month they maybe do it once once a year or maybe once every few years or they buy a house once every five ten years and so you don't change the the, the payments for shelter don't change very quickly it takes a long time to price that in so when you look at this number for shelter you're actually looking at two, almost two-year-old data i mean i would say 18 months to two years is what's affecting this data and what was 18 months to two years ago yeah the exact heart of the COVID crisis, the summer of 2020. So th that's why this is really high. And when you kind of pick through the CPI and you look at all these different components, you know, you can explain a lot of this stuff. It's not super bad. It's not 8.3% inflation. Okay. We, we have had zero inflation pretty much for the last two months. Let's go to Christian, stop me anytime. But here is, if you go to the next slide, number seven, this is a headline 
from Business Insider, and it say, says rents are tumbling in 27 of the U.S. biggest cities, uh, while some are rising, eight are still rising. Next slide. So what I did with here was on the left, you can see a, the full 40, whatever, I think it's 40 cities. And then I kind of zoomed in on the right, cut it and zoomed in a little bit. And you can see that a lot of these markets, rents are falling. It was the first month that rents really fell in over 20 months. So if you're looking at the CPI year over year and it's screaming higher, but then you dig in and you look month over month, oh my gosh, actually month over month, rents fell on average. So you're gonna miss that pivot point. You're gonna miss the pivot point in the market. Go next slide, please. This is another headline, this is from ABC News. US rent prices finally show signs of cooling down. And I wanted to read a couple of these headlines. Let me bring this up. Americans are finally starting to see the red hot rental market begin to cool off after record growth. A combination of strong demand, low supply and high inflation have kept pressure on rental prices nationwide. But for the first time in 20 months, asking rental prices saw negative growth falling 0.1% from July to August, according to CoStar, CoStar Group. So that's all I have for the shelter component and the food component we can dive in a little bit deeper if you want to christian but what kind of comments do you have on that as the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of bitcoin moon mortgage makes it possible to materialize your digital assets collateralized loans are great for living expenses buying a car or even for when you just have to have that sweet rolex but what isn't so great is when you then lose the ability to trade your assets once your loan has been taken out so just like you, Moon Mortgage believes you should be able to have your cake and eat it too. Moon Mortgage's Trade and Borrow is the world's first digital asset loan margin account, allowing you to instantly trade your Bitcoin while borrowing against your account, all with next to zero insolvency risk, no origination fees, nor any third-party risk, as Moon Mortgage will never lend out your digital assets. Welcome to the future of collateralized lending. Visit moonmortgage.io today to learn how you can trade, borrow, and then trade your digital assets some more. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference, which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof of Workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLive for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 Euros for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.
I mean, it's interesting to see, like, like one, the structural issues with year over year, given kind of like the assumptions that, you know, everything that's happening in the economy is changing very dynamically right now, especially because of the macro situation. It is really interesting, again, like, CPI is, I think, being most impacted by supply chains and, and borders and politics more than it's being impacted by inflation. That's one of the big things that we've been talking about here, which is why like this kind of like generally accepted fact that CPI equals inflation is really turning into very, very misguided decision making potentially by Fed and other central banks, which they're, you know, they're trying to solve a problem and they're not and they're not focusing on the right thing whatsoever. They're actually creating more chaos. So yeah. just kind of diving into, you know, how even the data that they're using is not kind of like objective for how they should be responding. It, it, I, it, I think it's really shocking because the, the key thing is that these people are, are impacting in a out, outsized way an economy that they don't even understand. And, and people and economic agents are, are, you know, using what they say to make economic decisions themselves. So it's like almost like the blind leading the blind. So, I mean, that's what this show's about is kind of teasing apart what's really happening and talking about that. It is kind of shocking to see one, you know, the picture that you're painting with these numbers. And then two, what is like, kind of like a generally accepted reality today, which is very far from what you're, you're kind of demonstrating. Yeah. And Powell does, I mean, he's spoken about what he's targeting. So yeah, he says, you know, we want inflation to come down. That's like what they're, they're aiming at. And uh, to do that, they're looking at month over month. You know, he said, we need to see several months of decelerating numbers. Okay. That's what he, he has said for their their to pivot or whatever the case is. So they're looking at month over month. They know that it's month over month is the important part. And I, that's just one thing that has really bothered me over the last couple of months. And maybe the audience ha- can tell because I've just tried to hammer this home that anytime you see like inflation numbers from people, if you see charts and they're they're telling they're warning you of imminent danger ahead or something, and it says year over year. You got to be, you got to call them out on that and say, well, what has the last month or two been, right? Are, are we accelerating into this or are we decelerating right now? And compared to maybe six months ago or whatever, what, what are we, what are we like? So it's very important to concentrate on a month over month. And if you do that, CPI is relatively flat. And I knew, I mean, Powell knows that whether he's going to pivot or not, like we've said, it's not super important, but the market thinks that they're going to hike and so that has rat- temporarily rattled the market. What else? Where else do you want to go with this, Christian? So, I mean, is your perspective is that they will continue to hike or is the imminent pivot coming soon? Oh, coming soon. Well, I've changed my perspective on this. You know, I thought it was going to be I thought it was going to be even before now in the year hasn't come. Then I said, September, there's a good chance that they at least don't raise by 75 basis points, that they raise 25 or 50 or something like that. Because I expected, just like we've seen, July and now August to be, sorry, got my alarm going off on my phone. Sorry about that. The 
July and August are pretty much zero. So are they really fighting inflation? What are they going to say? I'm really kind of watching out for what Powell says next week at the FOMC meeting. I'm going to watch what all of the kind of talking heads from the Fed are saying, because, you know, that is part of their monetary policy is to have these talking heads go out there and say things, make headlines and talk the market into a certain direction. So I'm going to be watching that leading up to the FOMC this week. I, I don't expect them to pivot. I don't know if they're going to do 100. I think they'll still do 75 because I think Powell does want to to pause. But that that's just my take. All right. Well, we'll have to see what happens. You know, as things continue to to get more chaotic, though, that leads to our next subject, which is yeah. populism. Yeah. So I only have one slide for this, but I'll call for that there, Chris, when I when I need it. So yeah, populism is on the rise in. Europe. And what do I mean by populism? I kind of mean anti-globalism. So anti-EU, anti-WEF type people. That is that is the rise of populism. And now this week we saw a kind of an earth-shaking event in Sweden. The anti-populists won. It's I think they're the the, the Sweden Democrats. The 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 globalist party is the social democrats and the Sweden Democrats one, they're going to headline a quote-unquote right-wing majority by one seat in their parliament. And this is kind of the very, it was seen as like a stronghold of globalism and EU and all of this stuff. And now they're going the other direction. So Sweden is a really big, I guess, earth, earth-shaking development this week. Now, I think another question is, you know, Sweden is trying to get into NATO right now. And if these right kind of nationalist forces in Sweden are taking over, do they not join NATO? And what will that do macro to the macro of the situation? You know, if Sweden pulls out and their, what, what do you call it, their candidacy for NATO, that, that could have knock-on effects. So I think this is a very interesting situation in Sweden. We can go on to Italy, unless you have comments about Sweden, CK. I mean, it, was that part of this kind of political movement was to reconsider the NATO thing? Or is that just or is that just you kind of trying to read the tea leaves? That's me trying to read the tea leaves, because the from what I understand now, I don't follow Swedish politics super closely, but I have read a few things over the last couple of days and they are very anti-immigration. That's the big thing over there in Sweden. And also they are. um quote unquote, anti-globalist or more nationalist, right? If you're anti-immigration, you want strong borders. That doesn't really fit into this idea of a whole connected Europe. So there's a little bit of Euroscepticism in there. There's a little bit of anti-immigration. And so NATO would fit right in there. I would think NATO would symbolize kind of, uh, you know, giving up sovereignty to a, a supranational organization. So I would think that they would be against that. So I'm, I'm, yeah, reading the tea leaves, but kind of extending logically from their, what I understand of as their platform. Got it. Yeah, no, let's, let's go to, uh, you said Italy next. Yeah. So Italy has a election coming up in 11 days. This is going to be even more important than the Swedish elections. Italy is, I think the fifth largest economy in Europe. And if you cut off the southern half of the country, it's like the richest per capita in Europe. So it's a very relatively rich country and relatively big economy. And they are uh, the 
same sort of party, this nationalist, uh, anti-globalist party called the Brothers of Italy. There's a few of them are like this, but the Brothers of Italy are surging. So Chris, if you could pull up number, the last slide there, number 11, or sorry, 13. This is showing the just a chart of the polls, and you can see the top line there. That is the Brothers of Italy. And then the Democrat Party, which is their kind of far left-wing Euro globalist party, I guess. They're, they've been losing support over the last couple of weeks pretty dramatically. Five Star Movement, who is an interesting party. Don't know too much about them, but I, they are quite populist. They have populist leanings. And there's several other of these smaller parties that are allied with the Brothers of Italy. So the Brothers of Italy are led by Giorgio Maloney, and she is a very outspoken person for God, country, and family. So that is the anti-globalist message. There is no like identity politics with her. It is God, country, and family. So but another thing I think is interesting about we have Sweden and now Italy perhaps are going to be doing going this way. Perhaps they could form a coalition with Hungary and maybe some other kind of parties in Europe and strengthen the kind of their ability to fight the EU. So one of the problems with Hungary was, you know, they have this populist leader in Orban, but the EU is constantly attacking them and constantly saying, you need to do this or that. You can't have sovereignty over this or that. And if he doesn't do it, they call him undemocratic and, and all this garbage. So he has been strong armed by the EU for the most part. And Poland kind of gave in later earlier this year and last year to some of the policies from the EU. And so now if we have Sweden and Italy and Hungary, maybe they can get each other's backs. I think this is kind of an interesting uh, beginning to a rightward movement, an anti-globalist movement over there in Europe. Now, I want to bring this back real quick uh, to why this is important for Bitcoin, because these parties are fundamentally anti-Euro. They're Euro-skeptic parties, Euro European skeptic parties. They don't like the European Union. They don't, uh, it, not all the time, but they, they typically don't like the Euro. And so this is, this is a full frontal attack on the union of Europe and their currency. And where does Bitcoin come in? You know, Bitcoin fits right in there. As people start dropping their currencies, Bitcoin is there to help them solve their problems. So what do you have anything to add here, Christian? I'm just going to zoom out and talk about how we have been kind of trying to spell out the, you know, or draw out or point out the cracks in Europe for as long as we've been doing this show. And every single week when we check back on Europe, more mm -hmm. and more of the game theory for why this structure that the EU is not going to last continues to play out. So it's very interesting to see this. If you were to reflect on the, the last kind of big election season eight years ago when Donald Trump won in the United States, you yeah. saw Europe effectively, you know, you saw populism win in the U.S. and, and globalism win now, you know, we're potentially seeing a world where populism could win in both Europe and the United States in this upcoming election season. And that's a very different dynamic than 2016 leading up to this point. So, you know, we're definitely seeing a pendulum swing and it's popcorn here. That's for sure.
Yeah, well, one of the first cracks back then in 2016 was Brexit. So we had Trump and they had Brexit. So that was kind of an initial crack. But on the continent, in, in the real depths of the EU, yeah, there was nothing like this. So also that, yeah, that brings up a good point. With the midterms, it does look like the populist wing of the Republican Party is going to make massive inroads, you know, win tens of seats in the House and a few seats maybe in the Senate. And that would be a huge shift over here, too. So this year is kind of this pendulum shift. And it might be like the last time that the globalists really have full control to do their dirty work, you know, for for 10, 20 years. If this is the year that the the populists win another thing a lot of people might say oh you know this is we shouldn't be talking about politics this is bitcoin but really i mean populism is about national sovereignty and about localism community and that's one of the things that bitcoin really thrives in right bitcoin promotes these types of values i think the bitcoin values are more closely oriented with localism and personal sovereignty than it is globalism and marxism right so we want to see the 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 global marxists lose and then bitcoin can have you know a very bright future with with the populace so that's all I have, man. What else? What else should we talk about? Should we get Q&A from the audience? Has anybody asked a question? Yeah, I mean, we, we could do a little bit of Q&A. I think we, we do you not want to talk about China at all or? Oh, crap, dude. You're right. I forgot yeah. all about China. Let's, I have let, a couple articles China here. before wrapping up. Yeah, hey, let, let, we, we're going from CPI in the US to Europe. And now we got the China update. So rounding out a pretty good show. Yeah, okay, so this is just an article from the South China Morning Post. It is kind of a, you know, a mouthpiece for the government, but I thought this was a really good article that I did share with my Telegram guys, so I wanted to read a little bit of it here. So the headline is China shipping exports, uh, sorry, exporters lament plummeting demand as peak season turns off season. Exports, long an anchor of the Chinese economy, typically surge before seasonal holidays in the West, but shipping agents are struggling to find enough cargo this year after china's weakened exports surprised the market on the downside in august shipping agents across china are struggling to find cargo during what is traditionally the peak shipping season ahead of western holidays quote we are in fact seeing at jangzu based shipping agent uh, said on condition of anonymity all or the overall shipping demand from customers is plummeting. Another agent based in Tianjin likened shipping prices to cliff diving because of their sharp descent. The weakened export demand demands are reflected in the slowdown in China's export growth, which fell to seven percent in sorry seven point one percent in August year on year from eighteen percent in July, while exports to the United States saw a year on year decline for the first time since March of twenty twenty. According to the Freitos Baltic Index, the spot sending a forty foot container from Asia to the west coast of the US dropped by twenty percent to $4,345 in the past week, and it is 79% cheaper than it was this time last year. Quote, this decrease reflects falling demand for freight excess images among some importers as inflation reduces spending among some consumers and as others shift to other types of goods and services as the pandemic recedes. 
said Judah Levine, head of research at Freitos. Many retailers pulled peak season orders earlier in the year to avoid delays. So that's pretty much all of that one. Do you have any comments on that? Or I'm, I can jump into the oil demand one. I mean, we're seeing demand destruction left and right, and I'm sure the oil demand will show that as well. Back to you. All right. So oil prices under pressure as demand concerns mount, and this is from oilprice.com. Oil prices fell early on Monday morning as bearish sentiment continued to weigh on markets amid expectations of further interest rate hikes and concerns about Chinese oil demand. Brent started the week more than a dollar down at $91 a barrel at the time of writing. West Texas Intermediate was trading at 85 Okay. The main downward pressure on oil prices in the past few days has been a report that China could see its annual oil demand shrink for the first time since 2002 because of COVID restrictions under Beijing's zero COVID policy. Oil imports, imports over the first eight months of the year were down for the first time since 2004. Reuters reported earlier this month, noting that there were now expectations for a drop in fuel demand during the upcoming holiday season. Energy aspects predicted that China's fuel demand could go down by 380,000 barrels per day for the whole of this year due to restrictions. Quote, the lingering presence of headwinds from China's renewed virus restrictions and further moderation in global economic activities could still draw some reservations over a more sustained upside, said IG, blah, 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 blah. Worrying forecasts about Chinese demand have coincided with a more interventionist policy from central banks, with both the European Central Bank and the Federal Reserve planning further rate hikes in their attempt to tame runaway inflation. Demand concerns centered on the impact of rising interest rates to combat inflation and China's zero COVID policy, said blah, blah, blah. All right, that's it. That's it for this one. So huge news, though. This is a drop in oil demand, the lowest oil demand out of China since 2002. And what, what's the size of their economy? Their economy is like five times bigger than it was in 2002. And oil demand is lowest since 2002. That, I mean, I haven't heard anybody talking about this. This is a huge story. And one reason why I say, you know, oil prices are going down. Oil prices are going to stay down for a while. There is no $200 barrel oil coming. And that's going to pull down inflation. So th this, I'm going to end this kind of my... That's going to pull down CPI. Yes, yes. That's going to pull down CPI. So God, I'm going to... Let's go, get this right, Ansel. <laughs> full, full spectrum, full turn on this. So we started with CPI, and now this is showing that oil demand in the world is slowing, and that is going to affect oil prices, which we all know CPI closely follows. So that's it, man. Now, now I'm done. I wasn't done before. It's a lot, man. I mean, again, we've been kind of broadcasting this, but it, it really is insane. 2002 China was on a global scale, rel like relatively small compared to today. No one, it was, it was a, a rising power. It was a power that the U.S. was enabling, but it was by no means an entity that could, you know, throw weight around like it can globally right now. So if oil is like the lifeblood of an economy, the, the lack of demand there is really showing the compounding effects of what's happening globally 
as well as like the compounding effects of the activity that the Chinese government is doing internally. It's they're they're very they're very effectively curbing demand and and destroying you know their capability of being productive. Yeah, and China joined the WTO. They were let into the WTO in 2003. So this is the lowest that their oil demand has been going back pre-WTO. So that's it's it's gigantic. So I, I want to sum up today. So the the, the kind of lessons that I wanted to get across were concentrate on month over month, not year over year for CPI, and on the the rise of populism is going according to plan in Europe and the US. So that's good. Get those Marxists out of power. And then finally, China is slowing dramatically, like we have reported over and over again. It's kind of a slow motion, you know, car wreck at this point, but China continues to crash. So that's that sums up what today was all about. All right, y'all. That's all we have for today. I'm CK Snarks. This is FedWatch on Bitcoin Magazine Live. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks on Twitter. Ansel, where can people find you? Bitcoinandmarkets.com is my website where I do a newsletter. You can find me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner and join the Telegram group, Bitcoin and Markets. Just search for that. Also, I am on tomorrow with Q. So everybody watching, come back tomorrow. I think it's a 2 p.m. Am I wrong? It might be 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's when I'm coming back on with Q for tomorrow's live stream. Should be a banger. That's it, man. That's all. All right. Let's go. Thanks, guys. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof of Workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. 
Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.